Good morning. Well, I, I'm excited to teach on these verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I believe this passage has just massive implications uh, for you, uh, for your home, and for us as a church. Peter tells us that we were born again to a sincere love of our brothers and sisters, to love one another deeply from the heart. I think we could say we are born to love. I mean, there, there's a phrase born to run or born to whatever. We, we were born again to love. But for that to happen, some things must go. For that to happen, some things must be stripped out of our lives. Things like malice, deception, envy, hypocrisy, evil speaking about one another and towards one another of every kind. And that's really what Peter's talking about here in these verses. You know, apart from the new birth, prior to the new birth, without the new birth, we are fallen, sinful, broken people who don't like each other very much and who don't treat each other very well. We might kind of put on a facade, but deep down without the Lord's work of new birth, we don't like each other much, very much, and we don't treat each other very well. There's, there's hatred, there's critical attitudes, there's judgmental thoughts towards others, there's holding on to grudges and offenses, there's speaking against one another, there's envying one another. And Peter says we are called out from that to live in love as newborn people in Christ. Now, just to refer to another passage that says a very similar thing, in Titus, Paul said, we once lived in malice, and envy, hating, being hated, and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not by the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, so that we who have trusted in God may be careful to, to devote ourselves to doing what is good. So by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, we who were once, we were hated and hating others, we have now become, we became lovers of people and doers of good. And so 1 Peter 2 verse 1 starts with the word therefore, which, which draws from the previous command to love one another. So, so his flow of thought in these verses is this, because you are to love one another fervently from the heart, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, I'm just going to very briefly run through and spell out what those, those things are. I don't think this is an all-inclusive list. Peter is telling us to get rid of these things or these kinds of things. Uh, malice is anger towards someone that has been brewing in your heart. Anger towards someone that has been brewing in your heart and turns into hatred. 
You just develop an intense dislike for someone. It is bad blood between people. It is holding a grudge. It's ill will towards someone. It's the opposite of wishing someone well. Deceit is craftiness, or it means you are clever at getting back at someone or hurting someone. It's maybe appearing to like someone, but behind the scenes you're scheming to undermine or hurt them. You know, I was once in a very, very uh, difficult relational situation with someone, and I I had a meeting with them, and the, just the thought came to my mind. And I, to, I told them this. You know, I, I said, I feel like we're sitting around a table, and I feel like you're smiling at me, but underneath the table you're kicking me. And that's kind of what, what deceit is. People that put, put on this deceptive front, but underneath the table they're, they're, they're kicking you. Hypocrisy, pretending to be something but really being something else. Looking like a clean cup on the outside, uh, but being unclean, dirty on the inside. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the quality or character, characteristic of working hard, very hard to look spiritual, but really not dealing with pride or a critical spirit or a sharp tongue in your private life. It's just, it's just wanting to appear good without really repenting in order to be good. Envy is simply being unhappy at the good fortune of others. Uh, envy's been called the last sin to die. <laughs> uh, even the apostles struggled with it. And, you know, an interesting story in Mark 10, 41. James and John asked Jesus to let them sit at his right and left hand when he comes in his glory. And that reveals their pride and self, self-promotion. But the response of the other disciples shows their envy. They were furious about this. They were, I think they were terrified that, that James and John might actually receive that great blessing. They had, they had envy. Slander or speaking evil of others. It's, it's speaking evil of others or speaking against others rather than really loving them, rather than really being for people, you're, you're speaking things about them or to them that undermine them. And so Peter says, rid yourselves of these things. And this is a very strong word. It is, it is translated, rid yourselves or strip off or be done with these things. It's like the image here is of taking off a pair of uh, uh, or, or old, dirty, filthy clothes and stripping them off of you. This is a, a radical, uh, once-for-all, complete disassociation from these things. It's like you, you see these things and you just, no more! It's just like, I repudiate these things. I renounce these things in my life. I want nothing more to do with these things. Now, we tend to say things like, okay, I know I have some anger issues. I'm still working through these things. I'm still waiting for the Lord to get a hold of my temper. 
Or, I know I struggle with a sharp tongue, but nobody's perfect. Uh, It's just going to take some time to deal with these things. I know I shouldn't really dislike this person as much as I do, but I just, I just can't help it. And, uh, you know, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet and so forth. And as much as I believe in progressive sanctification, that is that we, we, we grow. As much as I believe in progressive sanctification, there is a danger in overemphasizing how much sin we allow to linger around while we are waiting to grow. <laughs> Peter, I, I, I guarantee you, Peter has no thought that we would excuse these things in our lives. He has no thought that we would coddle these attitudes in our lives, that we would allow them to hang around, that we would allow them to continue on as though it's no big deal. You need to see these things as as filthy, horrible things that wage war against your soul and get rid of them. Strip them off. Each of these things has the power. Each of these these evil things that that we've just talked about, each of these things have the power to choke your love, to destroy a life, to destroy a marriage, and even to destroy a church. And... Peter is just simply saying there is no place for these things any, any longer. As born-again people, as newborn people, born again through the living and abiding Word of God, there is no place for these things. And let me say as, as strongly and as plainly as I can, there is no place for these things in the church. There is no place for these things here at Real Life Church. And I I actually think you all do pretty well, excel at at keeping these things out of here. But just in case anyone is considering introducing these kind of things into the church, I reiterate Peter's warning to us. Now, let me also say just as strongly... There is no place for these things in your personal life, in your heart, or in your home either. You know, some people think that home is a place where you can let down and really be yourself. Meaning, meaning by that, that sinful words, sharp words, grumbling against one another are acceptable. Because it's home. We can just be ourselves in our home. But Peter would say, you are a new creation born of the living and abiding word of God. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit. Do you notice that little word all in there? All. And that word uh, that, that carries through every one of these qualities, all envy. All jealousy, all slander, all evil speaking against one another. All of it, not most of it, not all of it most of the time, but all of it. Just get rid of it. So, I beg you, don't don't excuse envy. Don't excuse being unkind. Don't excuse sharp words or cutting comments. Don't tolerate 
uh, bitterness or malice uh, by saying things like, well, if you were in my situation, you'd be bitter too. Don't justify the existence of these things. Get rid of them. Now, I want to come back just a little bit to talking about this in the church. The church, this church, any church, but let's say this church, because that's where we are. The church is to be a safe place. Okay? The church is to be a safe place where there is where there is to be the absence of malice and envy and backstabbing and all those things, right? It should be a place where we love one another. It should be a place where we have each other's back, not where we stab each other in the back. It should be a place where you walk in the door and it should be the one place where you know you are loved. And a place, even maybe even more importantly, a place, the one place where you can love others without hypocrisy and without malice, with all sincerity. We are beloved children of God who walk in love. And there, there's, just, there's to be a complete absence of these things in the church. But because people, people often do not obey... Because people often do not obey or take seriously 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and verses like it, a lot of people get hurt in the church. A lot of people get hurt in relationships. And these, all I can say is, brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. The Apostle John said, little children, let us love one another. Paul said, let us not devour one another. Be careful. Years ago, I read a little statement in in a book by Jerry Cook. And I've I've said this here in church before. uh, But it always has stuck stuck with me. And uh, I'm going to read it for you. It says, brother, this is a statement that he believes we should say to each other within the church. This is, we should either literally say it or be able to say it from our heart. Brother, I want you to know that I am committed to you. You will never knowingly suffer at my hands. I will never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I'll always in every circumstance seek to help you and support you. If you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. Anything that I have you need, I'll share it with you. No matter what I find out about you and no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change and there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have to respond. I love you and that's what it means. And he said that's the commitment we all need to make to one another. And so I would say based on this this train of thought from from Peter, and I'm, I'm pulling back some into the end of chapter one and Josh's message on love last week. But I would say I would say this. You know, there's I I can worry a lot about the church, and some of it's a good concern. I mean, I have great concern about the well-being of, of the church family and the well-being of people within it. 
But I, I, I would say this, whatever, whatever our successes or failures as a church may be, let it never be that we fail to love one another. We might, we might fail in some other things, and I'm not advocating that, but whatever our faults or failures, let us not fail to love one another deeply and fervently from the heart. Let us, let us never be a church family where we give place to malice and slandering and bickering and all the stuff that Peter is addressing and things like that. You know, Ephesians 5.1 tells us, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, I think we hear instructions on love, and you say, okay, well, what's, uh, what, what's next? What do I go to on, on to after that? Well, in a sense, you don't go to anything after that. In a sense, you go from love to greater love and to deeper love and to love more and more completely and more fully like Christ. Paul wrote to Timothy, pretty amazing statement. He said, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1.5. Where Paul says, love is the goal. That is the goal of our instruction. So if, if in all our meetings and in all our reading and teaching and messages and studying the Bible, we do not end up as lovers of one another, we have missed the goal. We have missed the, the purpose, Paul says, of, of the instruction of the Word of God. Just think about some of the other places in Scripture. Um, you know, what does call, God call husbands to do? To love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does God call young mothers to do? To love their husbands and to love their children. What does God call all of us to do in the church? To love one another fervently from the heart. Well, how do we become these fully developed people of love who, who love like Jesus? How do we grow up into a life of thinking about the good of others, how we can bless our spouse instead of being bitter against them, or how we can get free from the bondage of worrying about getting my turn and having my rights and all those things. How do we, how do we love like this? Well, the first part of the answer is to get rid of those filthy things which poison loving relationships and I know I'm being a little repetitive here this morning uh, but I I want to strive with all of my might to drive home the importance of this into our hearts if you are going to grow up in Christ you must get rid first of those things that destroy and defile loving relationships and the, these, are the, these are the great enemies of brotherly love. And you must deal with them if you're going to go on to maturity in Christ. Now, Peter goes on to tell us, like newborn babies crave 
pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Or in other words, with, with great hunger, drink in the spiritual nourishment that will make you grow. In other words, we are to replace these evil things of malice and slander and envy, jealousy, all those things that we just talked about. We are to replace all these evil things with something else. And the, these, these three verses that we, that we have here this, this morning, they contain, in a way, vastly different ideas, but they all flow together. They're all... Uh, some commentators said that they believe that this was all, really all one part of one sentence. It's get rid of this, crave this, so that you may grow. Now that you have tasted of the goodness of the Lord, this should all just be a natural flow of things. So growing up in your salvation has a, has a putting off and a putting on. It has a repudiation of impure things and a drinking in, a craving of new, pure things. <clears throat> and Peter, the reason Peter starts with putting off these things, he starts with these relation, what I would call these relationship sins or these relational sins. He, he starts with that because they choke our desire for pure spiritual food, and therefore stunt our growth. And if you harbor or indulge or allow yourself um, a sharp tongue, a critical spirit, envy of other people, speaking evil of others, that it will hinder your spiritual growth. I mean, even if you read your Bible twice a day and go to church every Sunday and pray before every meal, you will not grow if you harbor these things that Peter just told us to get rid of. And that's why some people go to church for years and years and even know their Bibles pretty well, but, but never, never change, never really grow up into these fully developed people of love that we're called to be. So, so we get rid of impure, the impure things and we start craving the pure spiritual things. Things that come to us from God through Christ. The pure spiritual mouth. Now, there's a lot to explore here, but I want to start with this. When Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, he is not saying that you are babies. Or it is, he, it is not that he is necessarily writing to spiritual infants. Uh, I, I always, somewhere I always, always kind of had that in my mind. That is not, he's not the case at all. Um, what he is saying is all of us, no matter where we are, no matter how long we've been Christians, like newborn babies crave pure, like newborn babies crave milk, we are to crave the pure spiritual milk. And the emphasis is, is not that you are babies. The emphasis is on the baby's hunger. And there are other places where a contrast is made between the milk of the word and the meat of the word, but that doesn't seem to be Peter's point here at all. He is simply saying that a, a healthy Christian is a Christian with appetite. A healthy Christian is a 
Christian with desire, with craving, just like a newborn baby has this craving for milk. And I really should interrupt the sermon right here, and I should have one of the nursing moms get up here and describe the desire of a newborn for smother's milk. I mean, it's just, if you've seen it, seen a nursing, nursing baby, it's just incredible, the, 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 the singleness of, of purpose and, and the, the craving to get, to get milk. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. That God that, that that is going on there, and Peter uses that as an example that we should have that that intense, that insatiable, that overwhelming craving, that appetite for pure spiritual milk. So whether you have been a Christian for one year or fifty years, you should crave. You should have this craving for spiritual food. I don't know if I could justify this from a particular verse, although I see it all throughout Scripture, but personally, I do not think there is, there is one quality that is more important in the life of a born-again person than appetite for God. It just, it just makes all the difference in the world. I mean, it's just, it's no wonder that Peter says, crave desire, long for. It's just such an incredibly important uh, quality. We're to be hungry people. We are to be seekers, of, seekers of, of God, lovers of God, longing for God, craving desire. Now, some people, I think, probably would react to this passage and think that they have no say as to what they desire. But that's not true. You know, even on a human level, look at, look at how athletes focus their desire on attaining a certain thing. They, 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 they set their minds and their hearts toward a certain, certain goal, and they, they fuel and feed and stir up that appetite, that desire to accomplish this thing in the, in the realm of athletics. That's on a natural level. We, we have a divine power at work within us fueling our desire for, for our Father. This, God has sent the Spirit into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's a passionate desire for our, our Father. John Piper uh, wrote some very interesting thoughts on what he called spiritual fatalism. Uh, he's, he's warning against, warning against, or speaking against um, this a quality of, of what he called spiritual fatalism in people's lives. Um, and, and I think it, I think it, I think it is a, a very real problem that keeps some from craving the things of God. He defines spiritual fatalism as the belief or feeling that you are stuck where you are, or you are stuck with the way you are. That this is all I will ever experience of God. The level of spiritual intensity that I have now is all I can have. Others may have strong desires after God and may have deep experiences of personal pleasure in God, but I will never have those. Well, 
just because I am not like that, that's not me. You ever heard that kind of thinking or maybe thought that yourself? This spiritual fatalism is a feeling that genetic forces and family forces and the forces of my past experience experiences and present circumstances are just too strong to allow me to ever change and to become more zealous for God or more fervent or more delighted in God or more hungry for fellowship with Christ. Then he, I'm leaving out some of it, but he wraps this, this quote up by saying, spiritual fatalism is, a, is tragic in the church. It leaves people stuck It takes away hopes and dreams of change and growth. It squashes the excitement of living, which is growth. So when Peter says to crave or long for or desire the spiritual milk, you can do that. And as I said, the Holy Spirit is actively at work in you right now, calling you to that, working that in you. You can begin to fuel your appetite for fellowship with God. And with the saints, you can intense, begin to intensely desire God's word and God's voice and God's presence. And Peter describes this as a very natural process. It's, it's, to me, it's interesting. He wraps this section up, verse 3. Sense, or in the NIV, now that you have tasted... That the Lord is good. It's just, it's like, we, we are people who crave more because we are people who have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Now that we have experienced or tasted that the Lord of good, we, we just want more of that. And that's, that's, it's just like this natural thing that, that should be happening. This is just what you do with good food, which is the imagery that Peter uses here. We've tasted of the Lord and his goodness, so we want more of that. Just, just like a newborn baby has tasted its mother's milk, and it wants that. It longs for that. Um, so we, we've tasted, and we just want more. We've tasted, and it was good. Just like, just like what you do with food. You, you have a bite of something, and it's fantastic. And you go put more and more of that in your plate and say, man, I want some more of that. And that's just, that's the way we live out this, this Christian life. And you crave this, this spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Well, what is, what is this spiritual milk? What is this? spiritual milk that we are to long for. Um, some translations have, have added milk of the word. Uh, I, th- there's certainly an application for that. Uh, but the ESV, I believe, is correct. And the NIV uh, have more, more accurately allowed the, the literal translation, which is just p- spiritual milk. But certainly this does include a strong desire for the word of God. I mean, that's what Peter's just been talking about. We were born again of, of the Word. And Peter defines the Word of God, and interestingly, in the 
the last verse of chapter 1. This is the word which was preached to you. So, the word is certainly all of the Bible, all of the revelation of God, everything that God has revealed and made known to us. But, but specifically, it is the message about Christ, the gospel message. It is the message that Christ died for our sins, that God, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. It is the message of this grace, this amazing grace in which we stand and that having been justified, we have peace with God. It is the message that the Word tells us, the Word of God tells us of all the riches that we have in Christ, the glory of the new covenant, uh, the, the help and the comfort and the counsel that we have from the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection, the hope of a glorious inheritance. It's, it's everything that God has made known and revealed to us in his word. So we, we, we ought to be people who crave God's word. We ought to crave to hear from God, crave these truths. Saturate your mind with the word of God. Thirst for the word through which you were born again, through which you will also grow. So as a church, love to see this as a church family, just be hungry, hungry to read the word, to listen for God to speak to us in and through his word. Be hungry to come and hear the word taught on Sunday uh, or in, in, in small group. Uh, you know, uh, Cindy's not here this morning. She's got a cold and sore throat um, but she, she can barely keep herself from from church if she's even on her you know sick bed I mean she just she craves to hear hear the word and we we just uh, we, we ought to have have an insatiable hunger to, to be together and hear God's word taught but having said that, I, I actually believe from, from my study, if someone disagrees with me, certainly I, I have no, uh, no issue with that, but I really believe that in the context here that most directly that this spiritual milk is, is Christ himself. He is talking about the Lord, that we, we crave him. He is talking about experiencing the living Christ, certainly through his word, but the emphasis is on experiencing the living God. It is about eagerly and actively drinking from Him. And we must always remember that we are coming to a living person. And even when we, every time we open up the Scripture, we are not coming just to words on a page. We are coming to, the, to a living, breathing God who has spoken to us. And even as I am preaching from a portion of the Word of God this morning, but unless I bring you into an experience, and maybe I should say unless the Holy Spirit brings us into an, into an experience with the living God, with the living Christ, who lives and breathes in and through His Word, something from the message is missing. We are, we are, here, we are here 
to know and love and encounter and meet with and experience and taste of the living God. Wayne Grudem, I thought, had a very interesting comment on this passage. He said, To drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what he is like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. So we are, the word of God is to bring us into fellowship with the Lord himself. So crave all that comes to you from the Lord. And as Peter will go on to say, and come to him. It's a very, or as you have come to him as a living stone. But the idea is that we are coming to him. You've tasted the goodness of the Lord. You have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Now drink more of him. Now for applications this morning, I mean, honestly, I hope every part of the message has been an application that the Holy Spirit would, would use and, and cause you to apply it in your heart, in your home, in the church. But I, I want to refer to three passages from, from, Psalm, from the Psalms um, to, 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 help, to help really bring this message down to what I want you to take home from it. Uh, first from Psalm 139, uh, search, search my heart, O God. And see if there be some hurtful way in me. You know, I think I'm not. I'm not big on over, overly big on introspection. I think it can create some problems. But there is there's a time to just Lord, search my heart, search my heart of God. See if there be any of these these hurtful things in me. This malice, this envy, this problem with jealousy, this problem with slandering, speaking evil, grumbling, bitterness. At, hate, malice, every, any of those things. Lord, Lord I, just, I just put myself before you, before uh, the Holy Spirit. See if there be some hurtful me in, way in me. Ask God to show you any of these attitudes in verse 1 that you're tolerating in your heart. And then, and then ask him to lead you in the everlasting way, as it says in that psalm. And lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way of love. Lead me in the way of true spiritual growth. Lead me in the, the way of true Christ-likeness. And the second verse is Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And a lot of commentators feel that this is really the psalm that Peter had in mind when he was, when he was write, writing this. Because everything that is talked about here is really predicated on the fact that you have tasted of the goodness of the Lord, that you've, that you've ex- experienced that. And that, that's kind of what, what Peter says. You put off these things, you crave these things, since, or now that, you have tasted that the Lord is good. And quite frankly, you, you will not go on very far in the Lord if you do not personally believe, know, and experience that the Lord is good. And so I, I think, again, we have to ask ourselves, you know, ha, have, I, have I really tasted of the goodness of the Lord? You know, may, maybe that's what's wrong. It might be what's really holding some, some, some back here. So I, I would say, go to him. It's, it's, 
the psalmist just says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I would go to him and say, Lord, Lord, I am here to taste your goodness. I, 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 I ask you to, to, to reveal it to me again. Make it fresh. Make it new. Uh, go, to, go, to, go to the Lord and say, I'm here to, to drink of you. Satisfy my thirst and the hunger of my soul. You know, Jesus said, he who feeds on me will live because of me. I love that verse from John. He who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is really what the Lord's Supper is a picture of. And, and actually, sometimes when I'm sitting there and partaking of the Lord's Supper, I say, Lord, I gladly eat your body and drink your blood because you say, he who feeds on me will live because of me, and I want to live. I want real life. So, if you have experienced salvation, you have tasted the goodness of the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. We, we taste and we go back for more. We crave more. And then the last verse, Psalm 81.10, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Open wide your mouth is just a, a different way of saying exactly what Peter said. Open wide your mouth. Crave delight. It's open. It's it open. Opening wide your mouth is, is a kind of an outward expression that I I have an appetite. Okay, and so open wide your mouth. Crave spiritual food from God. Have an appetite for God and the things of God, and you will find that he will respond to that. That's what it says. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So op- open up, open up your, your mouth, open up your heart um, to God and just um, look to him to be the one who satisfies your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Uh, This passage from Peter, thank you for the warnings, for the encouragement, just for it all, Lord. It's all good, and we receive it. Um, And in the power of your Spirit, we trust you to have done um, a work, a great work in someone's life here this morning, in many lives, in all of us in some way, in some level. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.